28th Street, Newburgh Road, State Highway 5 South, State Highway 13 South, Duncan Road, Wyndham Loop. That was our route yesterday morning. We went to visit Leah's parents. We left our house yesterday morning and went to visit her parents for the day, visited some of her family who was in for the weekend, and kind of had our Labor Day stuff yesterday and enjoyed the day together. And that's the route we take almost every time we go and see her parents. Did you notice there I said almost every time? Because you know as well as I do, there's a whole bunch of ways to go pretty much anywhere. If, if we wanted to, we could go through Haleyville several different ways. We could leave our house going down 15th Avenue instead of 28th Street. We could, we could go through Double Springs to get towards Jasper instead of going uh, the other way through, uh, through Natural Bridge and so forth. There's a lot of different ways to get to where you're going. And we know that to be true pretty much anywhere you want to go. Sometimes you, you take a different route than you usually would because of necessity. Maybe there's road construction. Uh, maybe there's been an accident and they're rerouting traffic uh, around a different road. So sometimes it's just necessary to take a different road to get to where you're going. Sometimes take a different road just because you want to just for variety's sake, or just because maybe there's some uh, scenic thing you want to see uh, where you're going or on the way to where you're going. Now, I'll, I'll give you a little insight. I don't like to do personal illustrations all that often, but, uh, but this is a difference between me and Leah. Her family, when she was growing up, for example, if they were going to Gatlinburg, they might go by way of, I don't know, Wisconsin. I mean, they would go all over the place. When my family goes to Gatlinburg, we're going to Gatlinburg, and there better not be a stop between Dexter, Missouri, and Gatlinburg, Tennessee. None. And if it is, it better last less than a minute, no matter what you're doing. Better last because we're going to Gatlinburg. Scenic routes, forget them. That's all there is to it. It's scenic enough in Gatlinburg. Sometimes you take different routes well, because you didn't mean to. When we lived in Nashville, let's just say I found a lot of different roads I really never wanted to travel again because I didn't print out the directions to where I was going before I left to go visit somebody from across the city or something. And I found some interesting ways across the city of Nashville. I'm not sure they're legal ways, but I found my way back across the city. We, we, we understand the concept of, of different ways, and we like that. We like variety in our life. But that concept of having so many different ways and so many different routes has often bled over into even the religious world. You have so many different ways, we're told, to get to heaven. This month, in the month of September, on Sunday mornings, our goal was to look at some first principles, some of those basic things we always need to make sure we're grounded on in our faith. This morning, we're going to seek to answer the question, don't all roads lead to heaven? And I had a beautiful PowerPoint, so if you ever once in a while just look up there and go, ooh, isn't that pretty? I would really appreciate it because it was pretty, I guarantee you. But sometimes technology doesn't work. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to think about our music. What about that making melody in your heart thing? What does that really mean? Does it really matter? that we don't have a piano or a band or so on and so forth, and does it really matter if we sing or not? We're going to kind of look at both sides of that. Two weeks from this morning, Lord willing, we're going to look at the question, what about the thief on the cross? Is he the test case, as it were? Is he the, the, the case study for conversion in the New Testament, since he was right there on the cross with Jesus? And then, Lord willing, uh, three weeks from this morning, we're going to try to ask and answer the question, isn't the church of Christ just another denomination? Aren't you just one of those denominations in the whole sea of denominations that we see in the world around us? That's what we're going to try to do this month is hopefully look at those basic biblical things 
and seek to make sure we're answering that biblically, not in a cruel way, but just looking at what Scripture actually says. But this morning, I want us to think about the question, don't all roads lead to heaven? If you're following God, if you're sincere in your faith, isn't that really enough? And so I was studying for this, I actually came across an article that was written about seven years ago by a, by a, a seriously-minded person. He was writing on a, a Christian blog. You might put Christian in quotation marks. And this is how he began his article. He said, yes, everyone is going to heaven. This is not a clever statement that means something other than what it seems to say. Everyone who dies is going to heaven. And then he wrote, I say this on the authority of the Bible and of Jesus Christ, to whom the Bible faithfully points. Now, his article went on to try to give some proofs from Scripture to back up how he began that article, that everyone who dies is going to heaven. I'll be honest with you, his his, uh, arguments were easily shot down, but I don't doubt his sincerity whatsoever. And and the reason I don't, don't doubt his sincerity, and I'm not trying to play on emotions here or try to be cruel in any way, shape, or form, but just think for a moment with me. You may have, I never have. Have you ever been to a funeral service where someone was preached who was lost? I've never been to one. Everybody whose funeral I've ever been to, I guess they're going to heaven. In fact, to the point that a few years ago I was at a funeral, one of those things where someone's aunt or somebody died and you you go because you feel like you kind of need to go. I didn't know the person, didn't really know the family all that well. And the preacher or pastor or whatever his title was, was preaching the lesson, the, the eulogy for this particular person. And this is not word for word, but it is very close to it. He said, I never knew, fill in the blank with the name, to be a very religious person. In fact, I didn't know him to be religious at all. But the family told me that a couple of weeks ago he felt peaceful, so I figure he's in heaven. Now, some of us kind of shake our head at that and go, I can't believe anybody would ever say that. But how many of us have heard phrases like this from our friends? Well, we're all on different roads, we're just going to the same place. You have your path, and I have my path, but we're going to end up in the same location. How many times have we heard that or read that? It's constant, isn't it? That mindset of of all roads lead to heaven, you just have your way of getting there, I have my way of getting there, we'll all smile, say we're sincere, and that's good enough, and as long as I'm not as bad as maybe someone like Hitler or something, then we're going to end up there. And maybe he is too, remember the Christian blogger I said a moment ago, said everybody who dies is going to heaven. We may not take it to that level, but I'll make a list of 10 or 12 people in world history that are the worst people who've ever lived, and if I'm better than them, then surely, as long as I'm somewhat sincere, that's good enough. What I want to do this morning is challenge that way of thinking by not turning to anything in Scripture except what Jesus himself said. And we're going to look at three very famous statements of Jesus. These are not obscure passages at all. They're passages you know and you can probably quote, but I hope they will help us to see that, frankly, all roads don't lead to heaven. The first one is what we'll call the one, one road warning. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. And I hope you'll turn your Bibles to see these passages. Even though you know them, we know these passages well. I want to hear some pages turn this morning. because I want to see what Jesus actually said. You recall Matthew 7 is the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And that beginning sermon of Jesus is where he laid that or drew that line in the proverbial sand where he tried to tell the people, you've been living this way for a while now, and it's time I got you back on the right way. And and you remember all those statements scattered through the middle third, we'll call it, uh, of that sermon where he said things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. 
He wasn't saying that, that all those things that they had said were necessarily wrong. You shall not murder. That's not a bad thing, right? I mean, murder is wrong. But he would say, but I say to you, and every time he did the but I say to you, he would go to the heart of the matter. And he would make sure they saw that there was more to it than just following some some semblance of a law where you just follow four or five commands and that's enough. But there has to be a heart behind the matter. And after he finished that part of the sermon, he said in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now it's interesting to me that so many people look at the Sermon on the Mount and they see what is there. They see that Jesus beginning here and going throughout His ministry would make it clear that things like hypocrisy, religious arrogance, those things are wrong. And that's true. But it's easy then to swing the pendulum all the way to the other extreme and say, well, I guess as long as you're sincere and happy, then you must be faithful. And the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount was not one extreme or the other, it was the middle. And you see that even here. Several years ago, a man named Joseph Parker wrote a, uh, he tried to write a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, but he wrote it more like a biography. It's kind of hard to explain. But the name of the book is The Inner Life of Christ. And he was writing about this statement from Jesus. And the language is a little bit outdated, but I want you to hear what he said. He said, there is nothing novel or unintelligible in the principle which is here laid down, namely, that because straight is the gate and narrow is the way, few there are who find it. We know that to be a true principle in the common walks and ranges of life. It is the principle which applies at home, in the school, in the marketplace, everywhere in fact. The principle, that is, that according to the value of any kingdom is the straightness of the gate which opens upon it. Now, again, the language is outdated, but then he goes on to illustrate it with things like this. He would say things like, if you want to enter, for lack of a better way of putting it, the kingdom of music, if you want to be a musician, you don't just declare yourself a musician. We expect certain things. We expect you, hopefully, to have some level of talent, although I won't go there. But we expect you to have some level of talent. We expect you to take a certain level of, uh, of classes or lessons and to learn to play an instrument or to sing or do whatever you're doing in that, again, to use the terminology, that kingdom of music. If you want to become a school teacher, you don't just declare yourself a school teacher. We expect you to take certain classes. And often those classes include things like, like training. We actually sit in the classroom and actually teach some lessons before you are official recognized, if you please, in the kingdom of teaching. If we understand that concept in virtually every other area of life, why is it so difficult to understand when it comes to religion? That the way to enter the kingdom is not easy. And it is not for everyone. And it's not something that I just declare to be true. By the way, Remember when you read this passage in Matthew chapter 7 that we just read, it's in the midst of, in the context of, one sermon. Think about what follows what Jesus just said. In verses 15, through I believe it's verse 20, he talks about the fact that there are false teachers, and you have to beware of them. Well, if there are false teachers, that implies there's also false teaching, which all the way also would imply that there is true teaching and true teachers. The following section 
beyond that, verse 21 through verse 23, Jesus says that there are some who are even religious who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, right? So even some who are religious won't enter there. And you remember the sermon ends, beginning in verse 24, by talking about the fact there is that wise builder and that foolish builder, the one who's wise, the one who doesn't just hear what Jesus says, but he does what Jesus says, the one who obeys the words that Jesus spoke. So there's wisdom and there's foolishness. But even the words found just before what Jesus just said prove that as well. Matthew 7, verse 12, the, the, uh, the golden rule. Therefore, whatever you would that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Well, what's, what, do I, what do I want people to do? Hopefully they'll tell me that there is one road that ends up in heaven. I don't like saying it, and it is sobering to consider. But when you truly think about what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, is he not making it clear that there are more people who will be lost than who will be saved? And may I also remind every one of us, me included, that his primary audience when he gave that sermon initially were religious people. He was not just saying people who never hear about God, there's a whole bunch of those and they're going to be lost. They're the ones on the wide road, the wide way, the broad gate. It's not in context what he's actually saying. He's looking at people who consider themselves religious and saying, there's more of you who will be lost than who will be saved. Trust me when I say I don't like saying that. But to be honest with Scripture, it's exactly what my Lord said. There's not a multiplicity of ways. And Jesus even made it clear that the one that leads to life is difficult. It's hard. And few who find it. That is the one road warning. Turn over probably five or six pages of your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. And you see a second statement of Jesus in the one church promise. And by the way, the last Sunday of this month, <clears throat> excuse me, the last Sunday morning of this month, we'll look at this text again a little bit more in depth. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse 13, we're told that Jesus went into a district, a region called Caesarea Philippi, about 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, if you look at geography and those sorts of things. And he, he asked the people around him, who are people saying that I, who do people say that I am? And do you remember their answers are interesting because the answers show that the people saw something in Jesus that was important. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Now, the answers weren't exactly right, but they also show they saw something special in Jesus. He, he's like the prophets. He's like these great people we've been studying our whole life. But then Jesus asked that great question, okay, you've heard their answers. Who do you say that I am? Peter gave that wonderful, inspired answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You noticed when you look at that statement by Peter, how singular in nature it is. Even the word you in the original language is singular. He was speaking to Jesus alone. You can substitute just the name Jesus there for the word you if you want. It would still be correct. Jesus, singular, are the Christ, singular, the Son, singular, of the living God, singular. And what was Jesus' response? I say unto you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, now wait a minute, what, what's this rock thing? The words Peter had just said. This foundational bedrock statement. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
on this rock, this foundational statement, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against it. Have you ever considered how many singulars there are in that statement? How many people were named Peter that Jesus was talking about? I say, you are Peter, one. And upon this rock, singular, this one bedrock statement, I, singular, will build my church, singular. And by the way, the very next verse, verse 19, <coughs> excuse me, he tells Peter, I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom, singular. And literally the text says, whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. By the way, we'll mention this more in a few weeks, but just for kind of a devotional thought, it's interesting to me to consider something that was written after the church was established. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul sort of almost outlines this conversation between Peter and Jesus, especially what Jesus said. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul said, He, that is God, has put all things under His, that is Jesus' feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. In that verse, verses, excuse me, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Paul mentions the Christ, singular, and the church, singular. Exactly the same conversation you have between Peter and Jesus before the church is ever founded. Uh, founded. You are the Christ, and, and Jesus says, based upon that statement, I will build my church, singular. The question becomes very simple. Did Jesus do that? See, that's a very sobering question. Because if Jesus didn't, then He's not God. Because He made a promise or a prophecy He couldn't keep or didn't keep based upon nothing else than His own weakness. So either Jesus fulfilled this promise, this prophecy, or He didn't. And what was the promise or the prophecy? I will build my church. He didn't say, I'll build churches. He said, I'll build my church. Singular. The gates of hell, Hades, will not prevail against it. Singular. Boy, that's unpopular. The folks, it's what my Lord said. Either He did what He said He would do, and proved himself to be divine. Or he failed. And he is not divine. In reality, there is no other option. After the New Testament is established, have you ever considered the fact that the singularity of the church is never questioned? <laughs> Acts chapter 20, verse 28, speaks of the church which he purchased with his own blood. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 speaks of us being called into one body. Ephesians 4, the seven ones, one of the, the very first one is there is one body. We also remind ourselves of the fact that the desire of Christ was for unity, one body. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. In that prayer to the Father, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, for the apostles who were there with him. I don't pray for these alone, but for all those who will hear of me, learn of me through their word. All those who will learn about Christ through the apostles. That's you and me. We, we learn about Christ through the apostles like Paul and Peter and others, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I, and I in you, they all may be one through us. That the world may believe that you have sent me. 
by their unity. There is the one church promise. The third and final statement we want us to look at is the one we use for our scripturing this morning. It's found in John chapter 14. And we'll call it the one-way statement. You may have thought, because we use this for our scripture reading, we spend all of our time here, but I wanted to build up to it and, and mention that Jesus didn't just say something like this one time. He said over and over and over again, I love John chapter 14. I love those first few verses. Let not your heart be troubled. Aren't those some of those beautiful words ever said? I don't know how many funerals I've attended or, or spoken at where I've been asked to use those verses. Where I've heard those verses said or quoted let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions or dwelling places. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And since, because I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive it to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Those are some of the most comforting words in Scripture. But here's the thing, that's not where the chapter ends. That's not where the discussion ends. Jesus then says, you know the place to where I'm going, and you know the way to where I'm going. And don't you love it that it's Thomas that asks the question. Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes, doesn't he? Right? Doubting Thomas. Folks, he asks one of the best questions in Scripture in John chapter 14. And it's an honest question. It's the question I'm not sure I would have had the guts to ask in the moment, but he did. Jesus had just said, you know the place to where I'm going, and you know the way. And I sometimes wonder if Thomas wasn't going, we do? Because he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And if I may paraphrase, how can we possibly know the way? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus did not contradict Thomas's question? I mean, Jesus had just said, you know the way to where I'm going. So Thomas just jumped off of that and said, how can we know the way? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus didn't come back and say, well, I know I just said that, but there's really a whole bunch of ways. I'm going to tell you about one of them. Or Thomas, I'm going to tell you about my way, but you can have your way. And the Jews who are surrounding us who don't really believe him right now, they can have their way if they want, and that's fine. I'm going to give you a better way or a good way or a fine way, but you pick whatever way. That's not anywhere close to what Jesus said, is it? Instead, Jesus took the opportunity in John 14 and verse 6 to lay down one of the most fundamental principles that we have to have in our mind when he said, I am one of the great ways. That's not close to what he said, is it? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if that's not clear enough, he then said, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. I mean, that's pretty closed-minded, isn't it? That's, I mean, that's, that's some mean stuff. That's narrow-minded. That's, that's not PC. That's, that's on the wrong side of history. That's just wrong to possibly say that Jesus is the only way. Folks, I want us to think for a moment. I want you to put your thinking caps on for a moment. Because here is our problem, and the religious world's problem. I say we, that's what I mean. The religious world's problem, when they look at that statement, when they see something like, I am the way, and they see no one comes to the Father but through me, the initial reaction is, that's exclusive, that's closed-minded, that's narrow. In a sense, it is. But here's where we've got to change our thing. Are you listening very carefully? We don't deserve a way, and God gave us one. This is not exclusive. This is not narrow-minded. This is grace. I sinned, God didn't. I broke the covenant, 
He didn't. He did not have to send Jesus into this world to provide any way whatsoever, but by the grace of God, He said, here is my Son, He is the way, follow Him. What's so narrow-minded about that? I don't deserve it. It's not God's fault that I sinned. It's my fault. Several years ago, I was listening to someone speak, and they said something that's pretty obvious, but I'm not smart enough to think of it. He was talking about this verse, John 14, 6. And he was talking about how people sometimes think that that's exclusive, just one way. What about this way, that way, the other way? What he said was, if Jesus had said, I am one of a hundred ways, guess what we would want? A hundred and one. He's exactly right. If God had said, there are two ways. You know in the religious world today, there are a lot of people who say that Jews can still follow the Old Testament. That's their way. Christians need to follow the New Testament. That's their way. So there's two ways. Guess what? A whole lot of people want a third. And so if, if, if Jesus had said, I'm one of the ways. In fact, I'm one of about 26. I'd want 27. Because I want my way. This is not an exclusive statement. This is a statement from the grace of God. And if you think about it, this one statement from Jesus also ties together all of Scripture. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on John, talked about how the sins of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden are covered by the grace of God in this statement. He said that these words from Jesus, quote, should be received with joy and thanksgiving. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve, the first people, enjoyed a threefold privilege in the relation to God. First, they were in communion with God. Second, they knew God and the truth that flowed from Him. Third, they possessed spiritual life. However, when they disobeyed God and fell into sin, they lost this privilege. Instead of enjoying communion with God, they experienced alienation from Him. Instead of knowing the truth, they fell into falsehood and error. Instead of possessing life, they began to know death. For God had promised, when you eat of it, that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Adam and Eve lost the way, the truth, and the life in the Garden of Eden, but praise God, Jesus came to give us the way, the truth, and the life. Aren't you thankful there's any way back to the Father? Oh, but I don't like that way. Folks, if I don't like that way, and I don't want to be blunt, cruel, mean, I just want to speak from the heart. If I don't want that way, then how much am I demeaning what God did for me on the cross? I don't love the cross as much as I should. if I don't love the way that Jesus is. We live in times when everybody wants their own way. There are so many paths to heaven. We're all going to end up there. That's what we hear. 
we're all going to heaven. We're just taking different roads to get there. Just as I could have taken any number of routes yesterday to get to Leah's parents' house or back last night or could have taken different routes even to get to the building this morning if I wanted to, just to see some different things or go different ways. So many people would like to believe there are all kinds of roads to heaven. But Jesus himself, in three of his most famous, not obscure statements, made it clear that all roads do not lead to heaven. There is one road that leads to life. There is one church he has promised and built. And the early church understood it. When Saul of Tarsus was going to Damascus, who was he seeking? Those of this way. Acts chapter seven, uh, me, 9 and verse 2. In Ephesus, there were some who stirred up trouble by speaking evil against whom? The way. Acts 19 and verse 9. Later in Ephesus, what led to the uproar uh, about the building of selling idols to Artemis? There was no little disturbance about the way, Acts 19 and verse 23. As Paul looks back on his earlier life, he told the Jews in Jerusalem he had tried to persecute those who were of this way, Acts chapter 22 and verse 4. The early Christians were not ashamed to say, Jesus is the way, I'm going to follow that way, I'm going to live that way, and I'm going to teach that way. I am honored, I am absolutely honored to be a part of the way. And I want to make absolutely certain that as many people as possible, as difficult as it may be, as narrow as it may be, walk down the difficult one road via the one church for which Jesus died, following the way that we just sang about, the way of the cross that leads home. All roads don't go to heaven. But praise God, there's a road that leads to heaven. There are many paths in this world of sin, but there's only one I shall travel in. It is the old cross road or the way called straight. There is just one way to the pearly gate. This morning I need to ask a very simple question. How many of us have bought into the thinking of, well, he's sincere, she's sincere, I'm, I'm sincere, that's, that's good enough. Look, I don't want to question anybody's sincerity. I never want to do that, ever. I have friends, family members, and others who I love dearly, who are very, very sincere, have been sincere, and I never question that. But all I can do is open Scripture and say, here is what God has revealed, God has said, and I'm going to do everything I possibly can to follow that way to heaven because it is the only way to heaven because that's what He said, not what I said, not what I wanted. Frankly, I wish this wasn't true in a lot of ways. I wish there were a lot of ways, but I'm thankful, I'm thankful there is a way because I don't deserve one, but God's given me one. That way is not easy. That way says... I'm sorry, but not everybody is going to heaven. But it also says everyone can by the grace of God. Is there somebody here this morning who has never submitted their life to the way of Jesus, following His plan for becoming a Christian? Do you know what sin is and that you've committed sin? And are you willing to turn from those things? We call that repentance. Based upon your faith that Jesus really did die for you to offer you a way to heaven. Have you confessed Him as your Lord? Your only Lord. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. 
And are you willing to be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? Those are things that Jesus said to do, and He is the way. There are some in this room this morning who have never done that. And we pray weekly, we pray fervently for you that you will make that decision. And there are others in this room who are Christians but have bought in this idea that, well, I'm sincere, but I don't have to try. I, mean, I come to church, isn't that enough? No, no, no. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. Those are the words of Jesus in Revelation 2 and verse 10. Are you on that way, the way, through the church, via the way of Christ? Or are you on the easy way? It's hard. But as we often sing, heaven will surely be worth it all. If you need to get on that way this morning, we invite you to come while we stand and sing to encourage you.